0: It is a pleasure to continue worshiping with you as we are moving through the series that you chose. Uh, Back in Easter, you had a chance to decide what it is we were going to preach on in the month of June. You had 15 topics to pick from, and uh, and then we kind of took the top five that you chose, and those became the subjects for what we're preaching on throughout this entire month. And so I think it's only right that before we dive into uh, our subject for this morning that we allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Let's pray together. Lord God, we give you thanks for this day, this day in which we are gathered together in your presence, a day in which we might learn from you day in which we might come before your word and study it and be guided by that truth. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, open minds to understand and open hearts to receive the message that you have for us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So, you've chosen many uh, topics for us to talk about this month, and the topic that you picked for this weekend is this one Angels. Are they real? What do they do? And why should I care? And I, I, you know, I'll be honest, when I kind of saw the final results of what you guys voted for, I was surprised that this one was in there. Uh, but then as I started to think about it, I realized that there is actually a lot of confusion about angels and the spiritual realm in our culture today. And, and I want to kind of highlight where I think that confusion comes from. In particular, I blame four people. I blame Nicolas Cage, and I blame Jimmy Stewart, and I blame those two ladies from Touched by an Angel. Because there are many different odd notions about angels in our culture today. You often hear it at places like funerals, people saying things like, well, now there's another angel in heaven. And some people start to ask the question, well, does that mean that we become angels when we die? Or we have shows like Touched by an Angel, and we start to wonder, do we have things like guardian angels, and, and how, what role do angels play in our lives, and, and what do they really do, and, and do they earn their wings and every time you know a bell rings? I mean, we have these kinds of questions that are raised about the spiritual realm. And so this morning, what I wanted to do is I wanted to highlight the fact that many of our notions about angels, who they are, what they do, why they matter, are informed a lot more by Hollywood than they are by scripture. And so this morning, I want us to take a close look at what does God's word actually have to say about them? And why does that matter? And why does it actually point us to a much greater and more beautiful truth? So let's go ahead and let's dive in. Let's take a look at what Scripture actually has to say about angels and and who they are and why they matter. First thing is I want to make sure that we define what angels are. The first thing that we need to realize is that Scripture tells us that the angels are spiritual beings that were created before the foundations of the world, I love how uh, Job 38, verses 4 and 7 speak about it. This is the Lord God speaking to Job, and he says this, he says, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation, when the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation?" When all the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. Now we don't know exactly when in the timeline of creation this is, but what we do know is that it predates even the foundations of the earth being laid. That before creation, the angels had already been made. So if you were ever sitting here and listening to our bell choir and wondering at the end of that beautiful song how many angels had earned their wings during that piece, the answer is zero. None. Because the angels were all made before the earth's foundations were laid. They are spiritual beings created by God even before human beings existed. So what do they do? What does scripture actually tell us is their function? Specifically, there are three things that I think we can learn about angels when we look at God's word. The first one actually is something that's told to us just by their very name. Angel comes from the Greek word angelos, which means messenger or envoy. And likewise, even in the Hebrew, when angels are mentioned, they use this term messenger. So the angels, these spiritual beings that were created before the foundations of the earth, one of their primary jobs is to be bearers of God's messages to human beings, Uh, One of our most famous passages is that passage that we find in Luke's gospel on the night when Jesus is born and the shepherds are out in the fields and it says that an angel of the Lord appeared to them and said, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for unto you this day is born a savior, a king who is Christ the Lord. In fact, throughout scriptures, when you see the angels appear, more often than not, the reason they're showing up is because there is a message that God desires to give to human beings. Angels play a foundational role in making sure that God's word is understood and delivered to people so that we may hear that good news and apply it to our lives or so that we may heed God's warnings and turn from our current paths. Angels are messengers. That's their primary, one of their primary functions is to come and bring God's word to us. Second function, though, that we see the angels playing is that angels are warriors. One of the things I always found interesting when you see angels show up in scripture is that there's one of two reactions that most people have to angels. So, uh, oftentimes one of the reactions is that they don't initially recognize that it's an angel. That the angels kind of show up incognito. They initially appear like anybody else, and they kind of come to bring their message. But other times when angels show up, and, and people recognize that they're angels, their first reaction is, ah! And the reason why is because they're terrifying. Most of the time when they show up in their glory, they are clothed in in flames and in light. They appear as warriors. And in fact, at many points, when it talks about the Lord, it says that he is the Lord of hosts. In fact, that very story in which the angel shows up and appears to those shepherds, it says, and then there was a great company of the heavenly host. Well, what does that word host mean? It means army. So when those angels were singing in the sky, they were not these cute little cherubs, you know, with these uh, little rings around their heads. No, these, this was more like a military choir, dressed for battle, singing the glories of God. And this is an important function because what we see is at several points throughout, throughout Scripture, the angels perform their, their functions as warriors. One of the passages that we actually read this morning was about how there was this war in heaven between Satan and his angels and Michael and his angels. That Satan, rebelling against God, rejecting God, and seeking to overthrow him, waged war in heaven. And so Michael marshaled his, archa- uh, his angels, they fought against them, and they cast Satan and his angels down. That's really what demons are. They are fallen angels. And what we learn is that God's angels are often at work in the spiritual realms doing battle for the sake of God's people. In fact, it's really interesting in the book of Joshua, when Joshua is about to t- is, has been told that he's supposed to take the city of Jericho, what does he see? He sees a man clothed in armor. And what we actually learned back in our Christmas series is that this one who's clothed in armor is, is Jesus Christ himself. He's the one who appears to him. But then he says this, and he's like, I am the commander of the Lord's armies, and I will fight for you. Throughout the scriptures, we learn that there are battles taking place in the spiritual realm, battles that oftentimes we are totally unaware of. But what God says is He says that His angels are marshaled for the sake of ensuring that His mission, that His purposes go forth in the world, that the forces of darkness are beaten back and held at bay, that these angels actually do battle for us, to protect us. And see, many times people wonder, like, do I have a guardian angel? One of the things that Scripture makes clear is, is that there's no place in Scripture where it says that you have a specific angel who's assigned to you for your entire life. The Bible doesn't say that. But what it does say is that it does say that the angels are God's warriors who fight for his people, who defend us against the forces of darkness in the spiritual realms. Angels are warriors, messengers, and warriors. But the third thing that we learn about angels, and perhaps the most important one, is that they are first and foremost. Before they ever became messengers to human beings, before they ever waged war in the heavens, they were worshipers. They were worshipers of God. I love that passage in Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah sees the Lord enthroned in the temple and around him are flying the seraphim. And what we find the seraphim are doing is they are simply calling back and forth to one another in hymns of praise, holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. Angels are worshipers of God. They give glory to God. They sing his praises out to all the earth. And this is important for us because basically what it means is that angels are worshipers. They are not to be worshipped. In fact, one of the things that I find really interesting is in the book of Revelation when an angel appears to John and John falls down at his feet. He tells him, stand up. For I am a creature just like you. He says, Don't worship me, because angels say our worship is only properly and rightly directed to God in all of his glory. They remind us of that. They are not the recipients of our worship. They are not the recipients of our praise. Rather, they are fellow members in the choir, singing praises to the God who made us in his love and in his power and in his majesty. This is what we learn about angels. They bring God's word to us, they fight for us, and they join us in praising God, our maker, God, our Savior, the Lord of heaven and earth. That's what scripture tells us about angels and the role that they play. And the reason why I think this is important for us to understand and to wrestle with is because this, this truth about angels highlights the fact that we are surrounded by spiritual realities all the time. Often we're entirely unaware of it. But when we suddenly do become aware of it, we realize that we are a part of a much bigger universe than we could have ever imagined. That there are spiritual realities at work. But what I love is that they highlight over and over and over again that even in the spiritual places, God's servants are doing his will and work. They are helping to bring about his good purposes in our world and for our benefit. So why is it that we still have so much confusion about angels? Why is it that we still say silly things like uh, when, when somebody passes away, like, well, now there's another angel in heaven? Well, honestly, I think that the reason why we say those things is because when we do lose a loved one, we want to know that there is something greater for our loved one, that there is life beyond death, uh, death that there is a destiny for them beyond their sickness. We want to know that there is a greater glory, a greater hope. And so we, we kind of scramble for something. We reach for something. We reach for something heavenly, something beautiful, something glorious in order to give ourselves that hope. But one of the things I think that we miss when we, when we suddenly assign that to the angels is we miss the greater hope and the greater glory that God has already promised. The greater glory and the greater promise is that there is life after death and there is resurrection. Resurrection. That though we may die, there will come a day when Jesus comes in glory and we will rise again to new life. When our tombs will be empty. When we will be given new bodies, not like the angels, but bodies which on the one hand are recognizable. There are bodies, but they are now glorified. They are perfected. That we will be reunited with our loved ones in a new heavens and in a new earth where there is no more sickness or illness or death or mourning or pain or crying any longer. And I don't know about you, when I'm, when I'm separated from my loved ones, I don't want them to go and become an angel. I want them to come back. I want to be restored and in, and in a, a renewed relationship. I want to be reunited with the ones who've gone before us. And the amazing promise that Jesus gives us is that there is reunion. There is resurrection. There is new life. There is new hope given to us because he died and rose again. One of the things that I just love is how Scripture speaks to this in so many beautiful words. One of the passages that I often point people to when I'm speaking at funerals is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I love that he says that. He says, encourage one another with these words. We don't have to make up silly nonsense like somebody just earned their wings. We can encourage them with saying, your loved one will rise again. You will be reunited. Death no longer has any hold over them. They are resting in the arms of their Lord and Savior. And when he comes with the shout of angels, they will rise to new life and we will be reunited. I think that that is a beautiful promise. It's an amazing hope. That our loved ones aren't taken from us and then transformed into something terrifying and unrecognizable. No, that when we die, we sleep with our Lord and we will rise again to reunion with those that we love. That is the gift that God promises to those who believe in him. He says, encourage each other with that truth. If there's anything to say, say these things. That there is a resurrection. There is new life. But it gets even better than that. Because when we start to ask the question, so what is that new life like? Is it us sitting with the angels on clouds, strumming harps? The answer is no. That the picture that God paints in, in at the end of Scripture is this amazing picture of not just reunion with our loved ones, but reunion in a fully restored creation. I love what it says in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. That is a beautiful promise. That as beautiful and as, our, as glorious and as complex as our world seems now, it pales in comparison to the world that God is going to make anew. And the real hope that we have is that one day we will dwell there. We will dwell there with God, the one who loves us. We will dwell there with our loved ones who've gone before us. We will dwell there, yes, with the angels who have been messengers and, uh, to us and worshipers alongside us. And in a new heavens and a new earth, it is a beautiful picture of the hope that we have, and we can speak with confidence about that. We can speak with confidence knowing that that day will come, that there will come a day when finally all evil and darkness will be cast down, where God's victory and his kingdom will reign from everlasting to everlasting. The reason why I think it's worth meditating on that and reflecting on that is because this is the comfort that we can really give to other people. Again, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And there's moments when you feel overwhelmed, in those moments when you feel like darkness surrounds, in those moments when death and loss seem so painful, we can look to the hope that we have in Jesus, the resurrection that we have in Christ, to recognize that there is light and life. That's the comfort we can give to others. So what the, it's the message that the angels constantly proclaimed, that it's holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. And anytime we can bring that hope to someone else, we are truly serving as messengers to them. We are truly pointing them to the truth that we have, the truth that's given to us in Christ. That when we point them to that hope, we are singing along with the angels that amazing good news Of great joy, that unto us a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. There is a spiritual reality, but it's a spiritual reality that at the center reigns the God who loves us, the God who came for us, the God who died for us, and the God who rose again so that we might live with Him in glory from now until eternity.